You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Palm Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I am joined tonight by my co-host Tony and Michelle and we are continuing our Iditarod coverage and this is sort of the lull before the storm. Uh, last night we talked about the Red Lantern winner and everybody that, that uh, came in off the trail and now we're just kicking back a little bit before the banquet tomorrow night. So we have a couple of cool stories that are Iditarod related but not necessarily uh, race related. So it's going to be interesting to talk about those tonight. So Michelle, what's happening in your neck of the woods? I still haven't caught up on the sleep that I have been wishing for all day. Um, so in my neck of the woods, I picked up a service dog that was shipped up from Phoenix yesterday, um, morning, and she didn't arrive at the time that she was supposed to arrive at 10 50 p.m alaska time she arrived at 12 50 a.m alaska time so it was a long day for me yesterday and also today and tony what's happening down on the peninsula the peninsula thinks that it needs to be like shaktulik and koyak and elam and all of that and they're we're just trying to blow away today it's been ridiculous i've had things from neighbor's yards blow into my door my window my garage it's been fun today and up here uh, as as the time we're recording it's 43 degrees a lot of melt but hopefully we can hold on for just one more day because we have <laughs> one more day of students out here from the university of alaska anchorage and they've been a heck of a lot of fun. We ran 11 dog teams today. So a lot of runs with our dogs, a lot of tired dogs down in the kennel, but 11 loops. And I think everybody had a good time. So let's jump into our first story. And Tony probably knows a lot more about this than I do. But as we've talked about, not only on this coverage, but on many other episodes of Mushing Radio, we mentioned the group, the Ugly Dogs, and we've talked about how they came about and, you know, their passion for the sport and how they've literally changed how people follow mushing over the last few years. But they do something very cool that unless you are in the Ugly Dogs community, you probably don't know much about it. And it's called the I Give a Rod. Tony, what do you know about that? Then we'll go back and do a little bit of give and take after uh, your breakdown. 
Well, we've talked about this. I think we talked about this last year and we realized that I don't know much about it and I still really don't know much about it because I am following the race so much that I don't really pay attention to a lot of the different fan groups during the actual race. I'll answer your questions and that sort of thing. So I'm just prefacing this with, I am, I just know the bare minimum. And even then I know I'm going to screw something up. Um, but the Iditarod was started the year that Blair Braverman ran Iditarod. Her rookie year was 2019. Um, and she, you know, she has a, a very rabid fan base, a very positive rabid fan base. But that year they were pretty much all rookies following the race too. There were a few that, that knew what Iditarod was and followed it. But for the most part, the community was very, very new to how things happen in Iditarod. And so there were moments where nothing was happening because of the 24 or um, Blair ended up having a very long stay in a shelter cabin at one point. And to get their minds off of all of the kind of negative stuff that they were thinking, especially when she was just sitting there in the cabin and they're hitting refresh on the tracker and nothing's moving. Um, they started looking up different uh, schools along the Iditarod Trail is, I believe is the story. I know that Espy especially is going to grab onto this and be like, actually, this is what happened. And you know, this story I've told you, but my mind is, is just a mess of information right now. And, um, but they, they started in order to just kind of give themselves something to do. They started funding different projects for the different uh, village communities that were along the trail. And then it kind of blossomed into other rural Alaska school projects from anywhere from getting new classroom chairs to um, supplying funds so that the students could do a trip to Anchorage for educational purposes or extracurricular purposes, all different things like that. They've grown it now. It, it happens every year. It's, it's, just amazing. The first year they, uh, if I remember correctly, they threw out the, the course of the, the program. They got over $100,000 in donations sent out to all of these different organizations and schools and whatnot. Um, this year, it looks like, I don't think they've given us the full amount yet. Uh, as of March 17th, I see that a dollar amount of $32,000, again, going to all different organizations, um, not just along the Iditarod Trail. They now focus on all of Alaska, pretty much. Uh, they focus on schools and then also other um, organizations that are near and dear to the group's heart. So they have um, social causes. They have pet rescues. Um, I believe they've helped fund some of the um, rural veterinary programs. So it's, it's a huge deal. They're throwing a lot of money into communities that really, really need it. Um, it was a big deal in 2019. It got a lot of news. Now it just kind of sits there and does its own thing. And uh, they're still able to do a heck of a lot more than you'd expect. Yeah, I think this is one of the coolest things that has come 
uh, out of following mm-hmm. Iditarod in the last few years, as you mentioned, uh, I guess it was almost four years ago now that we're 2023, and that was the 2019 Iditarod. They have helped so many people, and it's really just out of the goodness of their heart, out of their um, willingness to help and and donations, and it's truly a crowdfunding program, which I think is really awesome. And I saw, the reason I wanted to talk about this today is I saw just yesterday or the day before that they were going to continue to give funds through the Red Lantern. But what I did not catch the full story of is they were matching donations. Do you know anything about that? Um, I just saw that they were doing matching donations towards the end of it. I don't know the ins and outs of that. Um, but yeah, that it's not something new, actually. I've seen this group do it before, um, not only with I Give a Rod, but other projects that they are personally involved with or that they've given to. Um, the ugly dogs are a very, very giving community. If they can't give uh, financially, they give of their time, uh, you know, helping create the website, which is igivearod.com. If you're interested in more information, that's probably way more accurate than my rambling was. Um, and they, you know, they have spreadsheets. It's the same group that was also for those mushrooms that are listening that were getting pizzas. And Unilacleet, uh, they have the spreadsheet going for that as well through the I Give a Rod because uh, they have a spreadsheet program of how they tally who's giving what, where, and what's getting funded. So they're they're an incredibly organized group for something that just started on a whim to just be able to get their mind off of watching trackers for a few minutes. Uh, it it just it's mind-boggling to me. I I can barely keep up with the little bit that I do. And di- didn't they or don't they do something with with the musher grams? And can you tell us what those are? I know the race is over now, but they will be happening next year. It's my understanding that if it was this year or last year, or it's been all year since they've been doing it, where they make sure that every musher on the trail get, gets at least one message. Is that right? Pretty much it. Yeah, it's, uh, the mushergram. I feel like we did talk about this earlier in our coverage, but the mushergram, you call into Iditarod comms. They take down whatever encouraging message that you want to send to whoever is on the trail, and they uh, fly it out to, um, or they, yeah, they fly it out to one of the major hubs. So I think Unilaclet got a big total of them, and Gnome, of course, gets anything that doesn't get delivered throughout the, the trail. So um, big, yeah, it's it's a kind of a big deal. And I've told this story many times, but I'll tell it again. The first time that it happened was 2019, again, because of the ugly dogs. And um, Jesse Royer, and I think it was Travis Fields, I just happened to overhear them. They were sitting in one of the little rooms in the Iditarod, quote unquote, headquarters there in Gnome. And uh, Jessie's got this giant stack of mushergrams and she starts going through them and she, she looks at, I, again, I believe it's Travis. She goes, who the hell are the ugly dogs? <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, it, 19 was a learning curve for us all with this massive wave of very enthusiastic newbie fans who now have embraced the sport so much that, 
some of them even have more knowledge and understanding of things than I probably do, uh, which is not hard because they're all super good with spreadsheets and numbers and I am not. So uh, it's, it's fun. I, I like being on the fringe of the ugly dogs. I'm not as committed to the whole thing, but uh, they've embraced me as a friend and a fan of Blair and Quince. And so it's been fun just watching them grow and learn and, and love the sport that I grew up in. Michelle, you would have, you had the, um, I give a rod website open, uh, and Tony was sharing some of the things that they've given to, uh, do you have the most current year with that or is it a year's past with their spreadsheets? Well, that spreadsheet that I quickly showed you was from the first year, but um, this year's causes that you can give to for 2023. So in other words, right now, if you go to their website, it's, it's really, you guys, it's a simple website. It doesn't need any flair. And um, it, it's there to give you information about how you can donate. Um, one of the top ones is to Arvo. Arvo is the Alaska Rural Veterinary Outreach Program, and they're simply asking for $10, which helps vaccinate and deworm one dog in these Iditarod Trail villages of Galena and Nome. Um, and if further, if they get further, um, funds, then it goes towards spaying and neuter, rabies vaccinations, and things like that for all pet dogs in those bush communities. Um, the August fund that we've spoken about before, uh, you can donate through I, I Give a Rod. Um, LGBTQIA+, Choosing Our Roots is, or other words, CORE, provides participants with more than just shelter by assisting queer youth and young adults ages 13 to 24 through building supportive long-term relationships with volunteer host home families and community members. Choosing Our Roots is a very cool um, program that I know about that helps keep those teenage kids off the streets. Um then we go into, uh, and all of these, you guys, are Alaska mostly based. Um, indigenous and Social Services, uh, a program called Native Movement and Skiku. Skiku is kind of cool. Skiku Ski Week promotes healthy physical fitness as well as motivates kids to stay in school. Skiku works with 98% Alaska Native youth facing numerous challenges to their health, wellness, and education. Skiku programs introduce cross-country skiing and biathlon in villages with an ideal climate for skiing. How cool is that? I think our buddy Connor McDonald is involved with that. I think that's what he does in the villages uh, when he goes out. I believe he may. Um, but that's really a, a neat thing. Um, 11 of the villages are on the Iditarod Trail, and it costs an average of $50 per student for them to participate in Skiku ski week. So there's a lot of different things on here. I'm not going to read them all. Um, but there's something for everyone to feel like they can become part of these Alaskan communities that are really kind of out of reach, even for people here in Anchorage. Yeah, I think it's an excellent program. And I always like to showcase them a little bit on our coverage. I know we've done that every year since they started. Uh, because, you know, when you have a platform, you might as well be able to share at least 
how other people can get involved as well. So that is igiverod.com. So our next story is a little bit more of a lighthearted story, and that's a little bit about the city of Nome. And I'm sure a lot of people, if you're big time fans, know a lot about this little town, especially from watching the live cams. It's interesting that they have a live cam that's on 24 hours a day, and you'll see people in the off season, and they'll say, hey, this is what Nome looks like right now. And they have that live cam posted on their Facebook page or whatever. And it's a whole different type of community when you're up there for the Iditarod week, which is sort of right now compared to the middle of summer. I know Tony and I were talking last night after we got off air about the different hotels and Airbnbs and you know, where people stay and all of that and, and how it used to be a much different experience than it is right now because a couple of these hotels in the last few years have unfortunately burned down. Now, of course, there is a heck of a lot of history from Nome, not only with dog teams and Iditarod, but way back to the Gold Rush era. Uh, there is, I think it's the Board of Trade Saloon that was once owned by, was it Wyatt Earp? Tony? Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. My dad's like hero as a kid was Wyatt Earp. So I, every time I found anything Wyatt Earp, my first year up there, I had to take pictures and send him video and stuff. So yeah, he's, he's kind of a, a local legend of sorts up there in Nome. Yeah. And I'm a big uh, old school Western fan. That's usually what I turn on uh, before I try to fall asleep at night, and I, I love those those old westerns. And I've been in the Board of Trade. It's a it's a pretty cool place. But what's interesting, and what I want to share, is some of the things that's going on during this week of Iditarod. As we mentioned, we're sort of in that lull right now, where there's a lot of people up there that that came up for the week, and you know they're they're vacationing in Nome and and doing their thing. But it's not a very big town at all. You could literally walk around town within, an, I don't know, a half hour or so and see just about everything there is to see. Uh, you don't typically need a car. What's interesting about Nome and a lot of other rural communities, and this may have gone up a few dollars since I've been there, but you can go anywhere in town for 5 or $6 in the cab. And you just call, and a lot of people, unless they live in a big city like New York or San Francisco or something, probably they aren't taking cabs anymore. They're doing Uber and all of that. But you call up the cab, and when you call the number, you're not talking to a cab company. You're often talking to one of the cab drivers, and they will pick you up wherever you're at, and you'll say, okay, well, I, I'm at uh, the Board of Trade, and I want to go to... Uh, the pizza restaurant or the Aurora Inn or whatever, and it's five bucks. It doesn't matter where you're going, whether it's just a few blocks or across town. And I think that that's that's pretty cool uh, way to to handle their transportation. These are not cabs, as you would think, uh, like you see in New York City. Often they are somebody's car, this their personal car. Some of them are pretty beat up and and. Uh, you know, seen their better days, but uh, you hop in and and you go for a ride and you hand them over five bucks and a couple of um, couple of bucks for tip. Uh, another cool thing, and I assume that they're doing it this year, is they have a golf tournament, uh, which is different than you probably think. It's a golf tournament out on the sea ice, and I believe they're using 
uh, fluorescent balls or orange balls. Is that right, Tony? Do I have that part of the story right? Um, well, I'm looking to see if they're even doing that anymore because it's been a few years since I've seen anything about it. But yes, it does look like they're doing the Elliott Staples Ice Golf Classic, and they do um, they do use very brightly colored golf balls because they're they're playing on snow out there on those ice. Yep. And, and, and where they're playing, which is pretty dang uh, close to, to, the, to the town of Nome, but also on the sea ice. And I think this is awesome. And it is the Nome National Forest. And if you've never seen Nome or never been to Nome, there are no trees in Nome. It is on the tundra. So you'll be lucky to see a, a, you know, a little bush, like a sagebrush type size uh, uh, bush. So what they do in the winter is they haul out trees and uh, kind of cutouts of animals and all this, and they put up a a sign that says the Nome National Forest. I assume it's it's for tourists and kids, where you know those kind of things where you can walk up and stick your head through the face of the polar bear or the penguin or whatever, and get your picture taken from that. But that's pretty cool because there are no trees up there, but there's always that that big sign that says Nome National Forest. Tony, have you got a chance to visit the National Forest up there? Uh, yeah, I have pictures from 2017. Uh, in 2019, though, the ice went out the night that we landed. Um, it was really crazy. My friend and I, we got down and I was like, okay, tomorrow morning we'll walk down um, when it's light and we'll go, we'll go to the Nome Forest because she'd never been. And we walked out of our hotel room that first morning and Liz looks out and she's like, was there water out there past our hotel last night? And I'm like, nope, we're not doing the Nome Forest either. Um, it didn't actually fall in, but it was pretty dang close to falling into the the ocean there. So I was like, yeah, we're not going out there on the sea ice. That's, that's literally one of my biggest fears is just dropping through a hole in the sea ice. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah. So another thing that I want to turn it over to Tony because she knows more about the activities for Iditarod. She, <laughs> mis- she mentioned a little bit of them last night, but it's my understanding that they're trying to refurbish uh, Leonard Seppala's house there in Nome. I know that they've been trying to do that for the last few years to raise funds for that. I guess they have some type of nonprofit. And of course, if you don't know who Leonard Seppala is, he is one of the serum run guys, he was uh, uh, infamous for Balto and Togo and, you know, the whole story that that all of us uh, have grown up listening to uh, based on that historical event. And, of course, it got a, a much bigger uh, plate at the table, if you will, just a few years ago when the Disney movie came out, Togo. Uh, that's the most modern rendition of of that story, but it, it's a pretty cool story as well. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Tony. First off, to the question: Do you know anything about the Leonard Seppala House and if it's still getting uh, refurbished or whatever they're doing? And then uh, please jump in and tell us about the Iditarod events themselves. Yeah, I have not heard any updates on the Seppala House since probably 19. Um, I don't know where they are in that project. It's been pretty quiet. It used to be something that you saw a lot of the old timers talking about um, on social media, and now there's nothing. So 
I will be researching that probably a little bit later tonight after we get off of here, because uh, now I want to know, because I hadn't even thought of it in a while. Um, but as far as what the Iditarod events are, if you're ever interested, make sure you either go to the Gnome Visitor Center website or their Facebook page. Uh, they always put up the Iditarod events calendar about a week before the start or right before the start is when it goes up because they wait until they finalize everything. And to put that calendar up, if you are in Nome for the event, stop by that visitor center. It's a very welcoming place. It's very warm. Sometimes they have freebies there. Sometimes they have snacks there. Uh, they're very knowledgeable in that little uh, community visitor center. And they also have printouts of the Iditarod event calendar, and they can tell you how to get there, when to get there, uh, what they suggest to go and do. Um, so big shout out to the Visitor Center. They're also the ones that provide that live cam that Robert was talking about that you can go onto their website and take a look, a little snapshot in time of whatever uh, they have it pointed at. Sometimes it's out at the ocean, sometimes it's down Front Street. Uh, it's quite the little camera there. But as for uh, the events, there are so many, and I'm not about to read all of them, but some of the big ones are definitely the basketball tournament, the Lonnie O'Connor Iditarod Basketball Classic. That's a mouthful. And of course, like we talked about, the Ice Golf Classic. Um, but they also have an arts and crafts fair that's for the whole week there. It's uh, right there in the, the church right off of Front Street, not the one that's right on Front Street. It's a little bit further. I believe it's the Russian Orthodox Church that it's in. And then you have the Methodists do a soup supper and auction uh, fundraiser. And I think it's for like five or 10 bucks. You get several bowls of different kinds of soup. When we did it, it ha they had moose, they had chicken, they had uh, beef barley and muskox. You can try muskox and moose if you've never had it. I did not try the muskox because by the time we got through the line, it was gone. I, I've had moose stew, love moose stew, so went with that as my main choice. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a museum. It's a little bit of a walk, but I've, I walk more than I take the cab. The cab is actually slower. The only time I use the cab is to get to and from the airport and make sure you do... Uh, plan accordingly and, you know, kind of go early if you're trying to catch a flight because depending on your cab driver, not only do they ride share very often, but <laughs> the last time I went up there, the uh, driver, she had her infant, he was definitely under a year old and he wanted to nurse. So she just pulled off to the side of the road and breastfed her child. And I was late to the airport and my luggage did not make the plane ride. So just a heads up there. But yeah, the arts and crafts fair, the basketball is the big thing. The museum tours, sometimes they have um, different mushers come in and do talks. Uh, and the mushers are the old gang, you know, someone like Dan Stevie, Dick Mackey's presented there. John Van Zyl presents there quite often. Um, really, really fun to go and listen to their old stories and ask them all the, all your questions. Uh, they love to talk about the old days. Um, they have different sled dog rides, movies, crafts, you name it. 
Um, there's a lot of stuff to do during the Iditarod. Um, they have a wet buns and wet t-shirt contest. I'm not sure which bar does that now because it was at the Polaris and that burned down. Then they moved it over to the Bering Sea Bar and Grill. That burned down this past winter. So I have no idea where they did that this year, but uh, that's always a, a big thing. Then they've got they've got dance parties. They've got all kinds of stuff. It's hard to it's hard to pick your favorites. You've got the snow machine races ahead of the Iditarod coming in. It's just it's it's so much fun. It's it's a party all week there in Nome. So Michelle has never been to Nome, and I know we were talking last night about uh, seeing if we can do. Uh, some live shows from there next year. And, and we, we started working on that a little bit. We were talking very briefly off air uh, last night about the different hotels and, and you were looking at it while I was trying to upload the show about what's available. But a couple other points before we move on. Number one, if you are coming from outside, uh, you have to have realistic expectations about traveling to Nome. It's mm -hmm. not like any other place you've probably ever been. So when you land at the airport, I'm going to talk about the airport in just a second. Do not ex <laughs> do not expect it to be like going to vacation somewhere else and having the amenities of vacation. There's just a couple of places to eat. There are plenty of bars. Uh, Wi-Fi is not the best. At least it has not been. I've heard that it's gotten better over the last couple of years. Uh, the weather can be fickle at any time, whether it's the middle of winter or in the middle of summer. Uh, everybody seems to be very nice when I was there, uh, but it is a mm -hmm. very small, tight-knit community. And uh, obviously, uh, you have to take that into consideration. The airport is always fascinating to me for one reason in particular. <laughs> and, and this is the same in most of rural Alaska. I am used to getting to the airport pretty early. I'm one of those hour and a half, two hour guys and all of that. But at this little airport in particular, you will see uh, the local folks. They will come in and they will check in and drop their stuff off, their baggage or whatever. And then they will go home and they will go home until right before boarding. And then you'll see them get dropped off there at the airport. They'll walk right in, walk up to the the little security line, get checked in, and you're off and running. The airport, the best way to describe it, looks like an old Greyhound station. It's about that big. They only have one little security line. And when they funnel you through the security line, there are just a couple of chairs there uh, for you to wait. And you almost always give up your chair to the elders there. And then right after you've checked into security, if you have to wait for a few minutes, then you walk outside, old school style, and you walk right out to the plane, walk up the steps and jump on. You don't get to do that very much anymore. I know that they do that at a couple of gates in Seattle, but very rarely can you check in from security and walk onto the plane within like five minutes, which is pretty interesting. My God. It's interesting. My God. What happens in Nome stays in Nome. It does. And what's interesting to security, and, and I don't think a lot of people think this through, but they are just as secure in Nome as they are anywhere else. They have the TSA agents and everything because technically you can check into the Nome airport uh, as you would any other airport in the world, but 
when you check into the Nome Airport, you can literally go anywhere in the world. I mean, you could catch catch a flight from Nome to Anchorage to yep. Frankfurt, Germany, and you know see the world from that little airport. So they are just as strict there as they would be at any large airport. I mean, you can't sneak anything by those guys in Nome just like you can't at, uh, you know, LaGuardia Airport in New York City. And my last thing that I want to mention about Nome, and I don't know if they do this anymore. I assume that they do, but they used to have those uh, special planes on Alaska Airlines where it was half cargo, half uh, uh, nope, seating. Not anymore. Oh, they don't do those anymore. Not anymore. Oh, no. dang! But those no. were those were cool. <laughs> I, I think they called them combi aircraft or something like that. Uh, nothing like that I've ever been on before. And my that was crazy. Yeah, my yeah, three or four trips uh, to Nome, they only have a few rows of seats, and then there's a wall uh, there about halfway. Then the rest of the of the uh, airplane is cargo. So. Hopefully we get to go up there next year and, and do some live shows and, and check out uh, the goings on and uh, hopefully uh, get a chance to get Michelle up there to check it out. Michelle, what what villages have you been in? Just Bethel? Is that right? Uh, yeah. That's the only rural Alaska <laughs> yeah. Uh, village. Yeah. So that's the only... Um... I mean, technically, we live in Willow, and that's considered a bush village, even though mm -hmm. it's on the road system. Um, and I've been out on the Glen with, you know, uh, McCarthy and um, whatever those other little towns were that I blasted out there a couple of summers ago twice. But really, only the, the only off off road system uh, village you've been yeah, in. Yeah, the only one I've ever flown into was Bethel. And what you guys just described as what was going on in Nome is kind of reminiscent of what I witnessed in Bethel, <laughs> except Bethel doesn't even have a hotel. And so you, we flew in to deal with one of our dog training clients. And yeah, I was flabbergasted at the cab service yep. because I've been in a cab in New York city. So I, and in Los Angeles. And so I've dealt with cab services before long before Uber. And I just got to tell you, I, it was almost otherworldly experience <laughs> because yeah. we hailed the cab you call them like Robert said at the grocery store, but three other people piled in with us that hadn't been on the bill. Yeah. And we paid <laughs> you get my drift. Yeah. It was interesting. And that's, that's how it is. I, I've been to several of the villages I've been to, you know, Nome and Bethel and, uh, uh, dead horse and a whole bunch of other places. And, and they all have their unique flair. And if you ever get a chance, the reason why we're talking about this, if you ever get a chance, not only to Nome, but of course, any of the other villages along the Iditarod trail, there are a few of them that you can get to. Of course, you can get to safety and white mountain and Uniclete and McGrath. And if you're feeling really uh, ambitious, you can get to finger Lake and rainy pass. And you know, some of those other places along the way, uh, it'll cost you a pretty penny to get there, especially as a tourist, but you can definitely do it. And if you're a hardcore fan, and that's why I wanted to put it in the show today, 
that there are opportunities, but the most important thing, and the reason why we're talking about it right now after Iditarod is over, and Tony can attest even from our research last night. Buy your tickets now. Buy your tickets now, in particular the motels, the hotels, or whatever, because if you're thinking about waiting till fall or even winter, you're not going to have a spot to go to. Robert, so, Robert, one more thing about the hotels. In the bush villages in Alaska, and this includes Nome, to secure a hotel, you don't go on booking.com. Not for most of them. You call the hotel. You give your name and your phone number and your email. And then you say a silent prayer. <laughs> they got you, yep. but you don't know yep. until you get that email yep. and you may never get the email yep yeah we've we've stayed uh for our serum run trips we've done that same thing where we're getting it with we're getting with people in manly hot springs or in uh you know galena or tanana or unicleet or whatever and all of them are exactly the same they are truly on alaska time and it's much different than anywhere else that i've ever traveled like you said michelle you call them up and say hey i would really like a hotel or, and, and they're not hotels. They are definitely motels. Well, uh, some of them would be considered hostels. Yeah. I, you know, I want a room on, uh, you know, June 6th. Can you help me out? Oh, yeah, we'll put you down. And that's what they say. Yeah. They say, we'll put you down. Or, and or they'll say, we got you. We got you. And uh, it's a wing and a prayer <laughs> if, if you have a hotel or a motel or a bed or whatever. So definitely book your, your time now. That was the reason for this. And hopefully to give you guys a little bit of a flavor, the title of this episode is obviously Gnome, Sweet Gnome. And as uh, uh, Tony had said, there's no place like it. And that's for sure. So there is one other story relating to uh, the goings on with Gnome. And that's what Jesse Holmes had posted. I believe you said it was on Instagram. And he's doing what Jesse does. He is uh, giving rides up and down Front Street uh, to to nope. visitors or nope. spectators or whatever. Is that right? No, that's not how nope, I saw it. No, he's not giving rides. He's just he's just stretching out their legs. He and another musher, Jacob Wickstrop, uh, I think is how you say his last name. They're just stretching out his dogs they're not they're not doing rides there are other recreational mushers okay that live in Nome that are doing those rides but Jesse was just running up and down front street and on the beach and I'm not a hundred percent sure but apparently the other night when um, Mike Williams Jr. was supposed to be coming in there was a team that nobody could figure out where it came from there was just a dog team in the chute um, and then it was gone in the blink of an eye. And so they all believe that it was like Lance Mackey's ghost or something like that on the insider chat. But I'm thinking it might have been Jake or uh, Jesse just goofing around waiting for another team to come in. Gotcha. So my my uh, bad for being a little <laughs> bit off there. But hey, what are you going to do if you're a dog musher? You have. You know, you came in on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, or whatever. Most of them stay for the banquet, which is Sunday. Uh, the dogs are in the, in the dog lot. Most of them are, are kind of kicking back, waiting to get a flight home. Many mushers fly their dogs home before they go home, just to get them off the trail and back to, to their home spots. But a few of them, uh, uh, the dogs are still there, I assume, especially if you've come in much later and then you will fly home with them, uh, you know, in the coming days. I would imagine the airport is quite busy on Monday morning. 
uh, with everybody trying to get out. And of course, uh, getting the dogs home is a whole nother story. So the, anyway, whether it was uh, just a, a quick exercise run or like you said, um, potentially Lance Mackey's ghost, we will never know who was in the shoot that day. So speaking of which, that leads into our musher profile of the night. And we are talking about Jesse Holmes. And we talked about this last night about who in the world can we profile? And we've pro- we, we, have a, um, we have a mission, if you will, to really profile uh, the folks that don't get a lot of press. Uh, you know, the back to the Packers, the, the, you know, the, the mid, mid-pack people, because they aren't getting the press like a lot of these big names do. And of course, if you know anything about Jesse Holmes, he was on uh, the Life Below Zero show for, for many years. I'm not sure if he's still on there. I haven't watched that show in a really long time. But he became a very popular person based off of that show. So a lot of people know the Jesse story. But what do you know about Jesse, Michelle? Well, in keeping with our gnome sweet gnome, Jesse was born and raised in Sweet Home, Alabama, and he left at the age of 18 to come see Alaska. But, I mean, he kind of ended up in Montana, where he ended up working as a carpenter for three years. And then he finally made it to Alaska in 2004. Uh, It says he was looking for adventure and found it running dogs on a remote trap line on the Yukon River. Uh, This love for the wilderness and dogs eventually led to his competing in many races, both sprint and distance. He did win the Kobuk 440 in 2017, placed seventh in the 2018 Iditarod, taking home the honor of being the rookie of the year in that Iditarod. A subsistence resident of Nainana, Jesse is currently working as a carpenter and TV personality appearing in The Life Below Zero, a documentary television show, as all of us here in Alaska are fully aware of, about the daily lives of people living in remote Alaska. He lists his hobbies as running ultra marathons, hunting, and fishing. And one thing about Jesse, you guys, he is very approachable, very friendly, wants to hear your story as much as he wants to tell you his. And that's my personal take. Uh, Before you jump in, Tony, I know that bio is probably a couple of years old. He has since moved to uh, off of the Denali Highway and built a little compound there and raises his his dogs and his handlers (laughs) there and whatnot. His website says none. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he has moved there and a little bit uh, down the road, if you will, from Ninana. What do you know about Jesse? Then I'll share my story. Sure. So um, I reached out, but uh, as we can kind of guess, now that they're all in Nome, they're hard to get a hold of. So I didn't get to ask my two questions that we've been asking most of our uh, mushers of the day. But Jesse is one of those personalities that every year as Iditarod is getting ready to kick off, I get tons of messages from friends and fans asking, is Jesse in the race this year? Because he is so well known because of his work on that documentary, quote unquote, show, the reality show, Life Below Zero. Um, I've actually never watched a single episode of that show, so I have no idea when people are telling me things about it. I just smile and nod because I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, 
But Jesse's big story this year was, if you remember from listening to earlier podcasts of ours or just following along on Facebook, uh, Jesse Holmes was in a, a, a life-threatening accident out there in Gullivan after the um, aftermath of when Typhoon Murbach decided to wreak havoc, not just over in <laughs> where it should have been wreaking havoc, but when it came over and hit the Western coast of Alaska, um, they were, he, he was with several other Iditarod mushers. It was not an Iditarod project. It was just a bunch of mushers went together to go help one of the former checkpoints of Iditarod. It's not an official checkpoint anymore, but Gullivan for many, many years hosted a checkpoint for Iditarod. And now it's just become kind of a meaningless stop. So they got rid of the actual checkpoint, but they still go through Gullivan. And um, Jesse went with, I believe it was Jeff Dieter, Aaron Burmeister, Brent Sass. Uh, they went and they were working on this house that had been flooded. They were trying to take out the old insulation at the bottom of the house because they are on stilts. And uh, as he was pulling some of the insulation, the entire bottom of the house fell on top of him. Uh, the story I believe that Jeff Dieter told said that it took them over two minutes to unbury him from the rubble and he was in pretty bad shape when they found him. Um, he was having difficulty breathing. He had multiple broken bones, uh, broken wrists, uh, I believe ribs and uh, collarbone. I don't know if you remember exactly what it was, Robert, but he was a very hurting unit and it was questionable whether we would see him out on the trail this year at all. But in true Alaska musher fashion, he, uh, ran some of the races earlier this year and he did quite well on Iditarod. Yeah. I believe he signed up while he was in the hospital. If I remember correctly for a couple of those races, or at least uh, announced, Hey, I'm okay, but I'm going to run in whatever yep. it was, uh, the, the copper basin yep. or whichever one he, he mentioned. And I don't recall yeah. exactly what yeah. those were. I know it was a collarbone or something like that, but he was in the hospital for a couple of days. So uh, let me tell you my part about Jesse. First off, this is his fifth Iditarod, I believe. One, two, three, four, sixth Iditarod. He came in fifth place this year. Uh, his first Iditarod was in 2018. Uh, he did that in nine days, 23 hours, 39 minutes, came in seventh place. 27th place in 19, 2020, he got ninth place, 2021, 15th place, 2022 in third place. His fastest time was in 2021. I, I, I don't check uh, this year's, but it was eight days, 11 hours, 29 minutes. Total prize money of $103,244. So he has done pretty well in the standings over the last few years. But you're right, Tony and Michelle. He is a very approachable, very likable musher. I know we've told a little bit of this story before uh, on our off-season podcast, but Jesse was one of the first uh, big name, if you will, mushers that I met up here in Alaska. I remember him being on a very early episode of Mushing Radio when we moved up here. And uh, I, I even remember sharing a bonfire with Jesse and Hugh Neff at uh, Hugh Neff's place way back when in Toke. And that's, I believe, the first time I ever met Jesse was at that bonfire. But more recently, last summer, uh, Michelle and I traveled to a little sled dog conference 
in Wisconsin, way northern Wisconsin in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And I knew Jesse was going to be there, but I'm not a big fanboy, so to speak. So, oh yeah, Jesse will be there. Maybe we'll hook up and have a beer or whatever. But he was the featured speaker because he was going to talk about Life Below Zero and running Iditarod and all that. But one of the cool things that we did on the first night of the conference is they did a hayride, horse-drawn hayride, where we would go all around the lakes and we would stop at... It was at, called a pub ride? It was a pub ride. But we would stop at all of these little restaurants and bars. And if you've ever done a pub crawl, uh, the idea is you stop at these places, you go in and you're only there for like 20 minutes, you have a beer or whatever, uh, chat it up with the locals and you move on. Well, one of the stops was the dinner stop. So we had 45 minutes or whatever it was, an hour, and we put our order in and uh, got to sit around and have dinner. And Jesse was sitting over at the table next to us. And I said, hey, Jesse, it's Robert. Come on over and, and let's have a beer. And he came over and uh, spent the whole time with Michelle and I. And, you know, he didn't care about his story. He didn't care about what he had to say. He wanted to know what Michelle and I were up to. And that's exactly what Michelle said in her part. He wants to know your story. I'm sure he's told his story a million times. And I'm not one of those type of guys that's going to sit somebody down and just because I do a podcast, drill them to death and say, well, can you tell me about XYZ and what do you think about XYZ and all that? So it was just fun to sit down and have a chat with him. Very low key. And, and, and you know what? It had nothing to do with dog mushing at all. It didn't. Uh, we just had a chat there. And that's what I really like about, first off, what I like about Jesse, but what I like a lot about the mushing uh, community in general is you can just walk up to a lot of these guys and gals, uh, grab them a beer and just sit down and chat. And it does not have to be about Iditarod and dog mushing. So a little bit of a note to all of our super fans out there. When you do approach them, you know, don't approach them like they're Tom Cruise or whoever. Uh, just walk up to them and say, hey, Jesse, hey, whoever, uh, let's, let, let me buy you a beer. Let's chat. Don't be all fanboy, fangirl, uh, you know, uh, can I grab a selfie, that type of thing. Just sit down and chat. And I'm sure both of you guys agree. Same, Michelle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, 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 they're people. And they, they want to learn about who they're talking to just as much as you want to learn really more about them. And while dogs are our lives and they take up a large portion of our time there's a whole heck of a lot of other things that we're interested in that's exactly right and uh, tony do you want to add any of that um super fan oh my goodness it's uh xyz musher uh, i've got to run up and and get a hug and a selfie and all that I would just say that it's easier said than done to just go over and not be a nervous fangirl or fanboy. Uh, I envy those of you who aren't introverted and shy on top of it. Um, but I would, you know, just kind of read the room. Uh, there are a few mushers that even on the off season when you're at a wedding or something like that, it automatically turns to dogs because that's what they're comfortable with because they too are not comfortable in social situations. Um, so I kind of seem to gravitate more towards those mushers, I think. 
There but, you go. Um, yeah, it's 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 very like you said. They don't want to be necessarily the superstars. Those that do want to be the superstar, eh, whatever. But for the most part, they're all very. Even when you're having those fangirl or fanboy moments, it you know they're they're very giving. And uh, Jeff King, one of my favorite memories of uh, Jeff King at the restart was years and years ago. Um, volunteers that worked Anchorage, your volunteer badge got you into the musher shoot uh, staging area in Willow. And so we uh, came through with some of our crew. Um, I was actually working for the TV, so I had to kind of bounce back and forth between hanging out with my friends who it was their first time volunteering and me doing a job. But um, got them over to Jeff King because their son, who was, I think, 10 or 11, was a huge fan of Jeff at the time. And his sister had made cards for every musher that their family was going to follow. And she handed him this card. And he said, oh, is this for me to sign? And she said, no, this is for you. This is a good luck card. And he thanked her for it, immediately put it in his sled bag that he was packing for the trail. And, or no, I'm sorry, not immediately. He asked her for her mailing address and asked her to write it on the back of the card so that when he got to Nome, he could send her a thank you card. And, uh, you know, everybody thought, oh, that's a really nice gesture, but, you know, he's going to be too busy or he's going to forget because he's going to drop this sled for a different sled. He took that card all the way to Nome. He got her a postcard and sent her a postcard from Nome. So, I mean, most, even the big superstars of this race, they're down to earth people most of the time. Everybody has their moment of, you know what, I'm just done and just give me my space. But if you read the room, most of the time, they're just the most genuine giving people out there. There you go. Yeah, there are so many stories like that uh, that we could share. And I think that that's what's cool about our podcast is we get to put that little bit of uh, extra personal spin to that. And I think that's what a lot of our fans like. So we have one more segment, guys. If you've been listening for the last uh, 15-ish days, however long it's been, <laughs> Uh, you know that we end with this segment every night, and it is our I did a question, hashtag I did a question. Last night's question was, what would you name your kennel? And those were slow to come in, but I noticed this morning that you had quite a few, especially on Twitter. What did you find out, Tony? Um, you know, I think I got a good portion on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, a lot of fans were like, well, I don't want to give my name out because I might use it someday. Um, others were like, I'm not really sure, but it would have, you know, I think one was like mud and mayhem or something like that. They weren't sure which word they wanted to use. And then another fan chimed in with, use both because that's perfect for a sled dog kennel, um, which I completely agree. I'm trying to scroll down here on Facebook, though, because we got some mushers chiming in on their kennel names, and I wanted to give them all kind of a shout out because it was the first time I got more mushers than fans involved in one of these I did a question. Um, we have Shane, who is from Cold Start Kennel. He said, I came up with Cold Start because it's a diesel engine term for a rough start of your engine, and I had a rough start building a kennel, and I'm a truck driver. Also, the word cold seems fitting to be in a kennel name. <laughs> right. Um, 
And then uh, I think the other one that was really interesting, da, da, da. actually, before we do that, I'll, I'll read another one from Rerun Kennel, who is Kaylin Davis, and I cannot remember her partner's name. I feel so bad. But they say, uh, Rerun Kennel, lots of our kiddos are from the shelter and rescues and are getting another run at things. Uh, and Kaylin ran last year, I believe, uh, ran some of Wade Mars's dogs in the Iditarod. This one was interesting. It's from Danny Stevie, and he says, I'm opposed to kennel names since we sign up for races under the musher's name. Calling yourself anything else, especially on social media, is just confusing to fans. But then he added about a few minutes later, he's like, my grandma came up with Iditarod, though, so I'll never change that. <laughs> so he does have a kennel name but it's also the name of his business i like that as well yeah there right, was some yeah. there, there was some cool ones and as i mentioned the other night i really like where people come up with their names uh, a lot of them are just so creative and and uh i i like hearing those so i forgot to mention at the top of the show our latest patreon member and it is andrea frazier uh, she supported us uh, sometime today. We were busy with the UAA students, but uh, thank you, Andrea. And remember, guys, two things before we get into our major award, that Tony is still providing her world-famous Idita cookies on Patreon, as well as our infamous uh, behind-the-scenes after show. And I'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. But tonight's question is very interesting. And we only have two more of these guys. And I hope that you've really enjoyed this segment. This is the first year we've ever done that. And believe me, when you've been doing this for more than two weeks, trying to keep these questions relevant, lighthearted, and one that hope will get a good response has been difficult for sure. So this one harkens back to my love of one of my favorite holiday movies, and that is A Christmas Story. And as you know, a big part of that movie is when the old man, the dad, wins a major award. And he thinks he might win a bowling alley or a million dollars or whatever it is. He thinks it could be a big deal. And of course, they bring in this huge crate that is uh, uh, typed on it that says Fragile. And he says he thinks that's Italian for uh, fragile, but he does not know. And he cracks open the, the box and pulls out the leg lamp. So you know what we're talking about uh, if you've seen that movie. And that was his major award. And uh, uh, a quick fan note, if you do not know the ins and outs of this movie, uh, when Ralphie is admiring the little lamp in the... Um, in, well, it's life-size. Well, it's life-size, but he's doing it in the front window. He's kind of caressing it, if you will. Uh, there are two guys out on the street uh, of, uh, of the, the little town there, and he says, by God, that's a major award. That happens to be the original author of that story. I believe his name is Gene Stapleton. So one of those uh, director-type moments is right there in that movie. So just a little movie trivia there. So... The question of the day is, what has been your biggest major award in your lifetime? Was it something as cool as the leg lamp? Was it a first place ribbon at the Cub Scout Pinewood Derby? Was it an Oscar or an Emmy or 
whatever, sometime a, some type of big name award, we would like to hear what your major award was in your life. It could be as big or as small as you want to mention. So let's go with Tony first tonight. Tony, what has been your major award in your life? Well, you kind of changed up the question on me because uh, I had a different answer now. Oh, no. Um, I, I don't know what my biggest award has been. I'm not really an award-winning person. Um, I don't know. You've had to you've had to have got a blue ribbon at the fair for your cookies or something like that. Nope. I've only ever entered in the fair once. It was photography and I got a participation ribbon. Hey, there you go. That's a major award. <laughs> if you if you get something from the state fair, that's a big deal. And that might be I don't think so. <laughs> that might be one of Michelle's major awards. Michelle, what's your biggest major award? Well, I got an award through the um, Aurora, Colorado Chamber of Commerce once for being the top woman business of the year. Um, and I was pretty proud of that, actually. Um, but if you want to go the fair route, I have placed in the the top prize. What is that? Not the grand champion, but the one just below that for my pollen as well as my honey. Every year we've entered. We've been in the top three every year, but every year for my pollen, I am the top. Yep, the the uh, the maroon award, whatever. I guess that's better than blue ribbon, I'm, I guess. It's a little better than the blue ribbon. It's the purple one. Yep. So my major award, and Michelle will probably remember this as soon as I tell the story, but many years ago, we were at a Chamber of Commerce function, and it was kind of a uh, hootie-tootie dinner club type Ho event. Hoity-toity. Hoity-toity, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, so we were all there, uh, you know, at this dinner theater show type deal, you know, where they perform like a murder mystery or something over dinner. And it was that type of deal. Is that this, uh, you know, kind of an event type deal? And at the very end... It was right around Halloween time. At the very end, they asked for a volunteer to come up on the stage and sing a song. <gasps> oh, my God. And, I forgot this. And I volunteered. If you don't know, I was in a rock band in college. Thought we were going to be the next iteration of Nirvana. You put on a Twisted Sister wig yep. and everything. They handed oh me God. this, this uh, long 1980s hairband type wig. A uh, huge blonde wig. I wish I had better photos, you guys. I had a Blackberry at the time. Yep. So the photos were grainy, but this, it was classic. And they, and I went up there, I sung the song. I believe, I don't even remember the song, but I, I just killed it up there. <laughs> and uh, so afterwards they were giving out awards for different things for the night. You know, uh, the, the team that got the murder mystery and, you know, the best dressed couple and all that kind of stuff that you get at those types of events. And they called me up for my little uh, escapade up there on stage. And they gave me a major award. That's what they called it. No, they didn't. They gave me an award and I, I, I got it. It was a trophy, just like something you'd find at Goodwill, just this off the, you know, like some kid's uh, second grade soccer trophy or something <laughs> like that, that they brought in for this. And I, I lifted it up. I still had the, uh, I still had the the wig on and all that. And I said, 
oh my God, Michelle, I have finally won a major award. And I tell you what, the entire crowd went crazy, didn't they? Oh, yeah. And I turned beet red. Yes. So my my uh, <laughs> my old school performance came out uh, immediately. Oh, it was so 80s. It was so 80s. So, so <laughs> my major award was some goofy deal at Aurora Chamber of Commerce dinner party. But uh, hey, I'm sure every one of us has a story like that, whether it be a participation trophy at the state fair, hey, you were able to to enter it, and uh, you know that takes some guts to enter your photography and in, in you know for the entire state to see, or our pollen and honey that we work really hard for in the off season, or my goofy 1980s rendition of some stupid rock song. So the question is, what is your major award uh, that you have ever won? And and Tony had said, I think you changed the question, and I think the question was originally going to be. Uh, what award would you win if you were an Iditarod or something like that? Is that right, Tony? Yeah, just which one would you want to win? Which one would you want to win? So we've changed it up a little bit because they have goofy <laughs> stories like like what we have. So please share on social media. We have one more left, and that will be tomorrow night. And now I know tomorrow night's our last uh, show of the year, but this last question is going to be special uh, in terms of uh, what we end the show note on. So definitely stay tuned tomorrow, and I will tell you the news and notes in just a second. But Michelle, did we miss anything? You did. So a listener reached out to my socials for Mushing Radio. This is a first ever for me. So one, I want to say thank you for inviting me on this year to become part of your mushing radio show again. But two, thank you for the encouragement from all the fans. So LD Maddie says, hi, I love your podcast with Tony and Robert. I heard Robert say if we send you a picture of our iTunes review, you'd put us in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift card. Here's my review, win or not, all caps. Thank you for a fantastic podcast. iTunes five-star review. I'm a city kid from the West Coast who ended up in the Midwest as an adult. Never mushed, but the 2008 Frontline documentary on the Iditarod hooked me on following long distance sled dog racing. I love the athleticism of both drivers and dogs, the quasi international vibe of the sport and the fact that winning depends on a multi-layer cake of skill, training, experience, health, trail conditions, and weather. It's incredible. Mushing radio gives us a window into the culture of dog sledding, tells stories about past and current mushers of every experience level, highlight the dogs and answer any question. It is one of the best resources from which I learn so much. Wow, that's that's a great review for sure. And we've gotten a bunch of those uh, uh, this year. Uh, people have reached out to me on social and all of that. And I, I went into this. I'm going to give the mic to Tony in just a second. I went into this year thinking <laughs> it was going to be a down year because we have such a small field and, 
you know, all of that. But it's really proved to be really engaging with our fans, uh, especially with these questions. And I, I, I know that we've got a lot more comments this year than we have in, in the last few years. And I'm sure you could agree with that, Tony. So could you comment on that real quickly? And then uh, did we miss anything or are there any other stories before we go? Well, I don't think we've missed anything because we will be doing our wrap-up show tomorrow other than to say that the Mushroom Banquet starts at 5 if you're in Nome. Uh, doors open at 4 according to the Nome calendar since Iditarod.com doesn't actually have that information on its website. Um, so uh, as far as comments and everything, you know, it was, like you said, we didn't know what to expect from this year's race. We kind of thought it was going to be a runaway race, and yet it was one of the more competitive Iditarods. So hats off to Iditarod there because I did get all on my high horse earlier this season and say that the Cusco blew Iditarod's roster out of the water. I still stand by that. Cusco was very exciting. But Iditarod turned out to be, I mean, it threw us some curveballs we did not expect. I don't think anybody expected uh, Ryan Reddington to just basically come out of nowhere in that uh, last third and just dominate the way that he did. And we didn't expect Brent Sass to have a toothache that took him out of the, the race. So um, as far as fans, I my dad is still, it's been, how, how long has it been since that day that we met over there at the lakefront? What, that was Friday, two weeks ago? Yeah, a long um, time ago. My dad, yeah, my dad's still in shock because after you left, um, like people from just everywhere kept coming up and going, oh my gosh, you're from the podcast and you're from your blog and, and whatnot. And my dad was like, it's really weird that people want to take pictures with my daughter that she doesn't know. <laughs> so um, thank you. Thank you everyone for the support. I think we found our today. rock star of this year's Iditarod. Yeah. No, I, I think it's Tony. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. That's my major award. People forced me to take selfies with them. By asking nicely and saying please and looking all sad puppy dog eye at me. I don't do pictures. I take pictures. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been fun. I've gotten a lot of comments just today on Facebook and Twitter saying that they're sad that the podcast is over. It's not over, guys. I did a rod's over, but we've got the Cobuck 440. And we're also, of course, going to keep doing our bi-weekly podcast. So stay with us. We're just going to be able to do stuff, not just talk at a microphone every night for two weeks. There you go. All right, guys. So in order to pay the bills a little bit, make sure you subscribe, even though tomorrow is our last show. Uh, we will be back every two weeks and we have a whole bunch of stuff coming up. Uh, people are reaching out for interviews and we have a very cool review of another podcast coming out very soon. So hit that. And don't be afraid, you guys, to send us your questions yep. in the off season. Yep. They will be answered. So be sure to subscribe. That way you never miss an episode because sometimes we drop those bi-weekly shows on a Monday night. It might be a Thursday night. It could be a Saturday morning. You never know when those shows will drop. We don't have... Like little Christmas story packages. Yep, we don't have a set schedule except for our radio schedule, which is a whole different animal in of itself. I believe we've probably been fired from the radio <laughs> st station this year because every show that we did is well over an hour. 
except for one that was 37 minutes. So if we don't have a radio partner anymore, we could really help uh, have a few patrons. And that goes through patreon.com slash firstpalmedia. You can sign up for like a buck or go all the way up to our super fan level and Tony will bake you a special batch of Idita cookies just for you. And we're going to do that here for the next couple of months, if you will, until she gets so sick of baking that she will never offer those cookies again. So check us out there and of course, follow us on socials. With that being said, let's end with that. Tony, how can folks find you on social media? Wow, you haven't asked me that for a while. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tony Shell AK. You can look me up Tony Writer on Facebook. Don't ask me to friend you, just follow me. Um, and then my blog is writersblock.com. Or if that's not working because I am inept at this sort of thing, you can hit tonyshell.blogspot.com. It's the same website, it just works better sometimes depending on the platform. And Michelle, how can folks find you on social media? Uh, my name, basically, uh, on across all social media sites. You just have to remember one thing. I'm unique. I spell my name with one L. So that is M-I-C-H-E-L-E-F-O-R-T-O on all social media. You can find our show at First Paul Media on all social media platforms, including... LinkedIn, we're there with a page. And you can also find me at uh, Robert Forto on all of them. I'm most active on Twitter. I am too old for Instagram, even though I try to update there. Actually, and actually you're too old for TikTok. I'm too old for TikTok, but we're there as well with First Paul Media. So check <laughs> us out there. And uh, I will always respond to all comments, questions, concerns, uh, negative reviews. It does not matter. I have a pretty thick skin. So if you have something to say, reach out to me there as well as on YouTube. And uh, I look forward to carrying on. So with that, we will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for Dogworks Radio and First Paw Media.